Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm awfully glad I can spend time with you today. I hope your, your day's been good. I'm going to start with my friend David Wheaton, and we're going to continue our series on embracing a Christian worldview. We're going to do the 12-part series. We've been at it. This is part nine. And if you've missed any of it, you can always head over to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out because it is uh, going in order, and we're going to talk today about the formation and function of a Christian worldview with David. David, welcome back. Good to be with you today, Bill. Yeah, and because we only do this once a month, maybe it's helpful just to do a a couple of important points from last time we were on about formation of a Christian worldview. Yeah, sure, that's a good way to start. So the last time we were on last month, we talked about the the formation of a Christian worldview. Earlier in the year, we were talking about the foundation of a Christian worldview. Then we moved over to the fundamentals. We won't review those today. Maybe we'll do one program at the end. We try to crush everything into one program. But today we're talking about the formation and the function, sort of the third part of leg of this stool of of developing or embracing a Christian worldview. And, And as far as this formation part goes, how do you form a Christian worldview? Well, there's really three things that I think are important to keep in mind about forming a Christian or biblical worldview. Those words can be used sort of interchangeably. Uh, number one, you must be saved. Okay. And number two, you must be being sanctified. And number three, another ask, you must be surrounded. And we'll get into mm-hmm. that one today. But just to review the last two from the previous uh, interview or two, we talked about being saved and sanctified. And we use the example of Nicodemus. Most believers who are listening will remember who he is. He was the elite religious leader, highly educated, erudite, purportedly had a biblical worldview. He was one of the part of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a leading religious leader of his day. But he was religious, Bill, but he was not regenerate. In other words, he could not understand spiritual truth. Jesus said to him simply in John chapter three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To which Nicodemus replies, I mean, you think he'd be able to get that. He started thinking like, this is a physical analogy. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And it just shows he was a highly educated intellectual. He understood the the different parts of Scripture and probably had much of the Old Testament memorized and so forth. But he had no idea what Jesus was talking about. He 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 didn't understand a biblical worldview. What what Christ was the most important truth that you must be born again. You must be right with God through faith. So being saved is the prerequisite for having a Christian worldview because. When one is saved or born again, at that moment, God gives that new believer an all-important gift, and the gift is meant to guide and help and teach and influence the believer, and that is the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and and salvation are synonymous. Once you're saved, God gifts you this most important 
third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have that, you're going to be like Nicodemus. You're not going to have a sound understanding of the Bible. You'll have no desire or power to live for God's glory. You'll just misinterpret scripture. You'll have confusion, frustration, defeat. You'll have double-mindedness like Nicodemus and, uh, and others who are, regen- who are religious but not regenerate. Now, just spend one more minute on the second step we talked about last time, which was sanctification. So to have a Christian worldview, you must be saved, and you also must be being sanctified. This is the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ, I guess you could say, uh, holiness as part of your Christian life. When you're saved, that's not the end of your Christian life. That's just the beginning. That's like your your wedding day. That's the first day of, the, of your marriage. And so sanctification is the process that God works in us to make us holy, to set us apart for his service, to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And Paul said this really great uh, verse or passage in Philippians chapter 2. He said, work out your salvation. And when he says salvation there, he's talking about this second tense of salvation, not the justification part, the being saved part, but the sanctification in part, the, the part that we spend most of our Christian lives doing with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work in his good ple- pleasure. So the work here is not work to do good deeds to be saved. The believer's work is to focus on and follow Christ. And as we draw near and are influenced by him, God works sanctification or holiness in our lives. So sanctification is ultimately about becoming more like Christ And when you become more like Christ, you then will have the worldview of Christ, the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. And David, maybe we could just hit pause here just for a second and say, what a great God, because being born again, we have the third person of the Trinity living inside of us. And everyone who's listening to this, who has made that decision to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has that Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit living inside in you. What a great God. What a great gift. It absolutely is. And Jesus actually said uh, before he left that it is actually better for you, talking to his disciples, actually better for you that I go away. I mean, what could be better than Jesus, Phil? Jesus' plan is better. Right. Because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. That's going to be better for you when I go away to send you the Holy Spirit. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. And, And you know, Evangelicals sometimes can not emphasize the Holy Spirit enough. Uh, it, it can be too much about maybe an intellectual pursuit or something else. I don't want to miss, miss, um, misappropriate people and pigeonhole them. But we need to emphasize the Holy Spirit more because this is God's great gift to the believer to help us live the Christian life in a way that honors him and have a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. He is the host of the Christian Worldview. And it's an outstanding program. I never miss it. And when I do, I can go to the podcast and check it out at thechristianworldview.org. You can also uh, learn all about his writing and his books and everything else that he does so beautifully. Uh, and to God be the glory. David, Amen. let's talk about what does it mean to become like Christ? Uh, that's a, a lifelong endeavor, I would imagine. Yeah, this is sort of the, the fundamental point or purpose, priority of the Christian life. There's the passage in Romans 8 that most Christians will know, for those whom God foreknew, or you, that word means foreloved, decided to forelove, to choose them for salvation, that God also predestined them to become conformed 
to the image of his son. And I'll add Jesus Christ. That's who his son is. This is the, really the, the key passage that this is the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is not to become healthier and wealthier and happier and any, anything like that or whatever someone might tell you. The goal of the Christian life is to become more like our Savior. And so this doesn't just happen by sort of folding our hands and closing our eyes or, or just praying or isolating ourselves away from the world and all temptation, some sort of ascetic lifestyle. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 what it means to become like Christ. He says, I urge you, brethren, talking to Christians, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then there's this important passage here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if there, if there was a perfect passage on forming a Christian worldview, this is probably it. So you're to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, it says. So you don't own you. You don't rule over you as a Christian. God rules over mm-hmm. you as he should. He's in his rightful place. Number two, there's something to don't do, <laughs> and there's something to do. The don't do part is don't be conformed or be a part of the world's sinful perspective and values. Don't put yourself under the influence of the world. Don't take it in, whether it's through media, whether it's even through friendships, when friendships become too domineering. We, we want to have friendships with unbelievers, but not to the point where the influence on in us is so worldly that it pulls us away from becoming like Christ. So we don't, we don't want to be conformed to the sinful world in any way. That's the don't do part. Mm-hmm. Well, the do part is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we can, we can discuss that, you know, what exactly tease out what that means. But our minds are to be, ch- we're to be transformed, to be changed. That's what the word transformed means. Renewed means something to may, be made new again. And it starts in our minds. Yeah, it's, it's such a good topic of discussion, David. And I think of... Paul in Acts 17 at Mars Hill. I mean, he he was able to talk to the philosophers and and discuss the issues uh, and the culture and be able to have all kinds of conversations that could uh, that where he could present his ideas, and yet he remained winsome and he was able to debate to whoever he was uh, wanted to debate with him. So again, it's an inspiration. He, he did. And the reason he was able to do that is that he was so saturated with the truth of the word right. of God and who God was. So he started out with, you know, what you worship in ignorance, <laughs> the God of this world, he created you. And he started to go right into a biblical worldview. Yet that's what he was really teaching them, who God is, who you are as sinners, how you can be right with God mm-hmm. through what Jesus Christ did for you. And then the call to repent and believe. And that's, that's because Paul was so saturated uh, and so his, he was, he had been so transformed by the renewing of his mind that it just came out of him when he spoke to the, the, the men on Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. David, how can Christians be transformed by the renewing of our minds? Cause that's, that's what we're called to do. And that is a daily activity or, or maybe hourly activity. It all depends. It is. Um, but it is. Yeah. So it's surrender. It's, it's, uh, filling ourselves with the truth of God's word. Um, how, how can we be transformed? Yeah, well, there's the words in there again. Transform means to be, you know, changed to something different. The word renew means to be to made to be made new from something that's old and something that's not worthy anymore. 
And also, again, it starts in our minds. And notice, notice where it does start with our minds. What we think, Bill, and what we desire, this is the seat of all of our things we decide to do, our, our will and our actions. It all starts in our minds and in our hearts. And so it's not just about changing. Don't be transformed by renewing your, your deeds or your actions. That will come when our minds have been renewed. So there's really, there's really, I think, probably several ways. But I'm just going to mention two ways that we go about being transformed by the re- renewing of our minds to become more like Christ, which we've talked about, and then to form a Christian worldview. And I, I think one of the one of the, the 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 best or most important ones is for Christians to be a member of a Bible preaching church and to be hearing on being under the influence, under the authority of the elders and and the preaching of the word on a on a weekly or even regular basis. There's no there's no category in scripture for a Christian who once they're saved to sort of be out there as a lone ranger, not part of a local body of believers. Because within that body, there 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 are so many things that are going to be God's going to use that He's already put in place to transform us by the renewing of our our minds. So there's that being a part of a sound Bible preaching church, or you're under the under the influence, so to speak, mm-hmm. of sound preaching. And then number two, it's accurately handling the word of truth ourselves as we read scripture, as we pray, as we fellowship with others. It's being able to properly uh, interpret and apply scripture. So when, when Paul said to Timothy, his some of his final words to Timothy was, um, preach the word. Uh, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they, people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You know, so much of the New Testament is spent by the writers, the apostles, not only teaching what is right and good, but warning against what is wrong and will lead you astray. And there's so much poor, incomplete, or downright errant teaching today within the church. We could do a whole session on false teachers and false uh, teachings, uh, which kind of deceive countless numbers of, of people. I, I think there's far more false teaching than there is sound preaching, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, of course, that's the work of that's the work of the devil. Of course, yeah. he's always trying to confuse the truth. But I think instead of going down that road, let's just emphasize the command in Scripture: "Forsake not the assembling of yourselves." Together, we need to be a part of a body of a sound Bible preaching church, that church that holds the highest authority of Scripture and then preaches it verse by verse every week. And if the pastor of your church is kind of giving an inspirational, motivational message on Sundays, if he's focusing on your felt needs, you know, about how to help your marriage or your, your parenting or your relationships or things like that, instead of reading Scripture— explaining it and help you apply this passage of scripture to your life, you may not be in a sound preaching church. So God is going to sanctify you and develop your Christian worldview, form your Christian worldview as you sit under this kind of expository preaching where you take a passage of scripture consecutively week after week, and God through his spirit just brings out things we need to know and apply in our lives as we sit under that teaching week after week. And so there's so much, there's so many teachers out there, but being discerning about those who really hold the highest view of Scripture, most have greatest fidelity to the Word of God. When you're regularly influenced by that kind of preaching, 
you will be sanctified. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and have a sharper Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. He is the host of The Christian Worldview. You can learn more about David at thechristianworldview.org. We're going to take a break. When we come back, continue our study on embracing a Christian worldview. It's a 12-part series. We're in part nine already. So if you want to go and listen to previous episodes, you can head over to MyFaithRadio.com. We'll take a short break and be right back with David. I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together. And have you ever read the book of Matthew? You know, at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of Jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought, who are these people? What, what are their stories? You know, why are they listed here? In our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar. Who was she? You know, what, what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, Jesus's mother. All the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm back with David Wheaton. He's the host of The Christian Worldview. We're continuing our study called Embracing a Christian Worldview. And David, I think every person who uh, gets into a relationship with God wants to know, how do I get better at, at, at reading and studying and applying God's Word? Now, what you just talked about before the break is being in a Bible-believing church where it's expository preaching line for line you you get an understanding of the the verse and its context and the application and so that's all really good but i know there must be more because you're in church for an hour a week then what what else that that that's exactly right so that that's so key and i think there's a mentality today amongst christians that mm, you know i can church is sort of take it or leave it i can have church at home church is always an in person assembly of believers because it's, it's it's the preaching so important, but there's more than that at church. It's the singing of the songs. It's the fellowship with other believers. It's the re, the practicing of the ordinances of communion and baptism. It's it's the whole package together that God de- designed this institution of the church. It's the only institution that He has promises promises to bless and that will succeed. It will never go away. And so the church is that that that. That almost that that place where we we can grow and be sanctified as believers, but there's more beyond that. Like you said, uh, Bill, that there's six other days in the week if we don't go to church midweek or something. And so I think it's also really important for us to read the Word of God ourselves, to be taking it in on a regular or maybe even daily basis. Second um, Timothy two fifteen. I, I love this passage where Paul writes to his younger, this understudy in the faith, Timothy, who was a younger pastor coming up, he says, be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God. Okay, and how should you do that, Timothy? As a workman who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, do be diligent 
to pursue God by accurately handling the word of truth. It's not just reading the Bible. It's accurately handling it. That's different. Accurately handling the word of truth. Those are the the key words there, to accurately handle the word. And so I, I always like this analogy that if your most important relationship in your life is God, and the only way to deepen a relationship is when you spend time with someone and you communicate with someone. So that means that we all should be, as Christians, spending time in communication with God. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we spend time in communication with God each day, interacting with him? And so we can interact with God. Basically, he communicates to us through his word. All scripture is inspired by God, the, the word said. He inspired this word. Um, we, we literally can hear from God right in their Bible. Just think about that for a second. If you you don't need to guess what God desires for your life or guess who God is, He's written it down on you know black ink on white paper. So He communicates to us through His Word, and we can take that word in through reading it or hearing it preached by those who preach it well. Or secondly, we communicate back to Him through prayer. That's how we communicate to God. And so I just urge anyone listening today who's a believer. To, to make a commitment in your life. To, the, the most important thing you can do any given day is to read God's word and, and really attempt to solidly, accurately handle it and apply it to your life. Even if it's just one chapter for, for five minutes, that's the most important thing you're going to do that day. You know, Maybe aside from telling, sharing the gospel with someone you may come in, come in contact with, but that is spiritual food, the Bible says. Like we wouldn't think of going a day, maybe once in a while we would, but most of the time we don't think of a day with without missing a meal. Mm-hmm. Well, we should not miss the spiritual meal of Scripture every single day. It needs to be taken in. This is, again, part of that transformation by the renewing of our mind. We need to have Scripture washing over our minds because I, I know in my own life, Bill, we just begin to get distracted or lose our focus or start to focus on the wrong things. Even if, even if it's not a, a huge stumble in one day, we tend to drift as Christians. And the word brings us back when we read the word to who God is, what he, what, who, what he wants for us, what the gospel is, what he calls us to do. It, it focuses us really on, on all these important things. So even just, you know, you don't need to necessarily, if, 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 it, if it's not the kind of person you are to, you know, go into deep study, at least, you know, read a chapter of the Bible per day. There's 21 chapters in John in 21 days, read a chapter a day, 31 chapters in Proverbs or a couple of Psalms, memorize a few passages, because when you take in the word of God through preaching and then reading it, God is going to use his Holy Spirit inside of you to sanctify you and form a biblical or Christian worldview as you know Christ better and become more like Christ. And all these things I've been we've been talking about today, Bill, are what are called the ordinary means of grace. They're not extraordinary, you know, mystical, you need to climb up to the top of Nepal and go to some particular, you know, cave where you talk to a monk and have this incredible experience and go on a pilgrimage. No. God designed his church for believers, the reading and preaching of the word, our communication to God through prayer, observing the ordinances of of communion, remembering Christ's death and resurrection, baptism. These are the ordinary means of grace 
that God used to sanctify the believer and then transform us by the renewings of renewing of our minds so that we can have a biblical or Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. David, I want to ask you this question because I know you think about everything. In 2 Timothy 2, which I love this verse, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurate, accurately handling the word of truth. So let's just take subject A from God's word and then three theologians or pastors have three different perspectives on subject A. Who is accurately handling the word of truth? Yeah, the, the simple answer to that is Scripture interprets Scripture. Amen. So as, as we look at someone's interpretation of Scripture, we need to compare it against other passages of Scripture that provide context to it. The interpretation of Scripture, of course, is everything. You know, people come to different interpretations. They both can't be right. God has one intended interpretation for his word. And yes, there will be many applications in different people's lives, how it's going to be applied. But there's one interpretation. You know, take John 14, 6, for instance. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not many interpretations of that. There's one interpretation, that Jesus is the only way. The only way to get to the Father is through him. So and that, that, that thought or that truth, that truism, is, is shared elsewhere in Scripture. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, there is salvation and no, and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So if someone's coming to, and this is an obvious example, but if someone's coming to, you know, um, conflicting interpretations of Scripture, cont- be like the Bereans in Acts and compare what that person is saying to other passages of Scripture, and then also hear from those who are soundly preaching the Word of God, those who are, I would say, older, who have been trusted, who have been shown to uh, preach and understand the Word well. Find out what they say about the particular passage in question. So good. All right, David, let's... Uh As we talk about the formation of a Christian worldview, we've talked about being saved. We've talked about being sanctified. What is the third point about the formation of a Christian worldview? Yeah, this one's a little more subtle, but I think it's important. The third way that a Christian worldview is formed is to be surrounded. Uh, There's another S. Or or be engaged, uh, both with believers that will impact yourself to have a sharper Christian worldview, but also with non-believers. Because when we rub up against non-believers, it causes us, it, it's like almost like um, weightlifting, Bill. I know you like to, to work out in the gym and so forth. You know, if you didn't go, why do you put weight on the bar in the gym? Because there's resistance against you. Yep. And if there was no resistance, you wouldn't get any stronger. And so it's the same thing with forming a Christian worldview. If we just remain in a Christian bubble all the time, that there's there's good things to that that can sharpen us. But we also need to be bumping up against non-believers who may challenge our, 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 our worldview a little bit. So we need to go back and think, well, what do I really believe? What's really the answer to that particular question? So if we become like the people we spend time with, and that's true for better or for worse, it's important for us to spend time to be surrounded with other believers. But it's also important for us to spend time with non-believers and have substantive conversations, not just about small talk and how the Vikings are doing and start out with that. But to get into real questions, uh, significant issues of life, the big questions of life, and as you have those discussions, you're going to hear what they think. It's going to, you're going to think about what, what do I believe? What does Scripture say? And this is another way 
that that being that we can we can have a sharper Christian worldview is that bumping up against those who actually don't have that kind of worldview. Now we don't want to spend all our time there. We don't want to get so involved in it that we start getting influenced in the wrong direction. But this is the point, by the way, of having a Christian worldview is not just for ourselves so we can think correctly. It's so that we can share it and tell others about the truth of the biblical worldview. Now, so good, David. Uh, just a minute left. So maybe we can talk about the difference between the, the formation of a Christian worldview and its, and its function. Yeah. I think what we'll do, we'll get into that one because there's more to say than 60 okay. seconds. Okay. But, but I'll just say this, though, just as maybe a little teaser for next time. I mean, it seems obvious, Bill, but if the formation of a Christian worldview, if the point of that is to think biblically, then then the function is to live accordingly. I mean, it, se- it seems obvious that you're you're forming something, you're developing something, so that you can use it, and that's what we'll talk about next time. Is that how does this Christian worldview sort of play out? How is it to be used in, in our daily life? It's not just good enough to keep it in our mind and kind of know the right answers to things. It's how do we put this into practice in our life? It's not just orthodoxy, it's orthopraxy. Mm-hmm. And that's what we'll discuss next time. Love it. David, thank you once again for being on the show. Always uh, love having you on. And I just, I love hearing your voice because I love you. So thank you again for wow. being on the show. Love you too, Bill. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. David Wheaton has been my guest. You can go to thechristianworldview.org, learn more about David. Check out his podcast. They're incredibly good. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Pastor Brent Kuhlman's going to join me. We're going to talk about the persistent widow. That's next. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? Welcome to the show. I hope you've had a great day. If you just climbed in your car, it's time for a little Bible study. I love Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. The first verse starts with Jesus telling his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. How many times have you thought to give up where you thought, ah, the praying just doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter It's not happening the way I want, and you just give up. Jesus says, always pray and not give up. And to talk about that more is my friend Brent Kuhlman. He's the pastor of uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. I always love having Brent on. Brent, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. Peace of the Lord be with you. Peace of the Lord be with you as well. This parable is awesome because um, so many people get... discouraged and they say their prayer life isn't vital it's not it's not working and i'm just going to give up yep that's exactly right you know before we get into that particular item let's let's just make this observation it's a good thing jesus told us what the parable was about (laughs) (laughs) i agree (laughs) because if he didn't we'd get it we'd get it wrong especially the clergy types like me (laughs) yeah let's observe that but you're right people um Let's put it this way. If you're a faither in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be a prayer, which means you're going to, you're going to depend on him. But as you just mentioned, we, we sometimes lose heart. Yes. Uh, and we give up, and we fail to pray. And it's because we're impatient, I would contend. Our sinful nature 
is very, very impatient, especially with the Lord. Because with me, I'll speak for myself, it's now or never, Lord. I I have to have it my way in 60 seconds or less, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way, too. We all hate standing in lines, don't we? Yes. Yeah, we hate being stuck in traffic, right? Hate it. <laughs> Here's the big one that I hate is when I turn on my computer and it doesn't work immediately, I get angry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, we, we want it now. So yes. this parable teaches us that prayer is, I'll put it this way, <clears throat> prayer is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have to be patient when you pray. And I say that because, you know, in the Bible, Peter mentions that um, we're praying to God for whom a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So the answer to your prayer could take a while. I'm from a human point of view, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, this, this parable Jesus tells talks about being persistent, patient endurance. So um, I, would, I would contend that the God figure in the parable is the, the crooked judge who neither fears God nor men and is probably on the take. Now, some people might be alarmed that I would say that the God figure is the, the judge. We'll just yeah. hang on tight. But okay, because I'm alarmed. Figure, I'm alarmed, and I'm, I'm the show host. <laughs> well, it, it's not a one-for-one analogy. Okay. Okay? <laughs> All right. All right. All right. I, and the faith figure, of course, is the widow who keeps showing up in this judge's courtroom, and she makes the same demand for justice time after time after time, even though the crooked judge, who's probably on the take, couldn't care less about judge justice. But finally, she wears him down, and he, he's going to give her justice <clears throat> for no other reason than that she keeps grinding down at him. The text says, um, let me get to the right verse here, verse 5, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's, that's the point. Now, I, I said the point of comparison when I said the God figure is the, the judge, it's, it's from lesser to greater. God's not an unrighteous judge, so don't misunderstand me. He's the righteous one. And his judgments, they're pure, and they're absolutely right. But here's the point. If a crooked judge can be persuaded by the persistent, stubborn petitions or prayers of a woman seeking justice, then here's the point. How much more will God, the righteous judge, work justice for his elect, which Jesus, of course, points out in the parable, (laughs) who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Well, we know the answer. No. No. And we have our Lord's word on it because of this parable. Yeah, okay. That's very helpful, Uh... Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest, and we are in Luke, um, the parable of Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. So, of course, uh, here's a crooked judge finally giving justice to this persistent person. How much more will God give uh, us answers to our prayers in his perfect way and in his perfect timing? That's right. And again, we go back to the impatience part, which makes it all the more challenging. Uh, yet we have to keep in mind who we're petitioning to. That's right. So don't lose heart, Jesus says. So praying to God, I'm going to repeat this so people can get this under their belts, Mm -hmm. because we're Americans and we're we're a microwave society. So prayer is a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
So there has to be this. It's an exercise in patience. Yes. So, so Jesus, don't lose heart, he says, because when we don't get what we want, when we want it, well, the temptation is for all of us to just quit or look for some other more productive path, if you will. Um, I, as a pastor, my goodness, I've been at this for a long time, decades upon decades. I think it's safe to say, Bill, that most of our prayers, I guess I'll just speak for myself, I guess. <laughs> most of, most of the, my prayers uh, are shallow, sporadic, and undisciplined, and anemic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I compare it to this. All right. Um, my prayer life is like this, and I need to work on it, but I, I compare it to this. It's like going to the gym, and you go, you go to the gym just a couple of times, you lift just a, a few weights, and then you make this conclusion. Well, this, this doesn't work. This exercise doesn't right. work. I don't see any, as my kids used to say, I don't see any water in those pipes, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, prayer, prayer then, and this parable teaches this, that prayer is to be done, and it is to be, to use the uh, language that I just said earlier, exercised yes. over the long haul and not the short term. Yes. So it's done consistently persistently and with expectancy. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I wonder how many people pray with a sense of expectancy or if they throw their prayer out, uh, feeling, uh, that they don't go to God with a spirit of gratitude. I mean, in Philippians, Paul talks about, uh, don't worry about anything, but in all your prayers, ask God for what you need, always coming with a thankful heart. I mean, do you often go to prayer, uh, nervous, full of anxiety and not with a thankful heart? Sure. Christians struggle with this all the time. They do. Yes, and thus the parable. Yes. Yeah, and that's what you quoted from Paul. Yes. Yes. Um, Let's, do we have time for me to make another analogy? Please, yes. <laughs> well, what I've just said with you, and, and I, hope that, I hope our listeners have had great joy over this, is, you know, all my life I've prayed, and many times it doesn't, it, it seems like God doesn't answer my prayers, at least on demand, you know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, I say that because. We, we want instant answers. We treat God like an ATM machine, you know. But it seems like over the course of my life, what I've learned is, is that it's more accurate to say, and this parable I think teaches this, is that God is grindingly slow from our point of view to answer our prayers, mm -hmm. almost to the point. And this I've, this I've experienced too in my life, almost to the point, and I hope this is helpful, that I've forgotten what I was praying for by the time got around to dealing with it. Have you ever had that happen? Yes, I have. <laughs> all right, so all these old prayers that you've been praying, yes. they're answered as though they were prayed yesterday. I know. <clears throat> you know, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. I think that's Second Peter chapter 3, if my memory serves. Yeah. <laughs> so good. All right, we're going to take a little break. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. We are in uh, Luke 18 talking about the persistent widow. If you have a question or comment, love to hear it. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. 
And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. We're talking about the persistent widow. And during the break, Brent, I was thinking to myself, I think uh, as the persistent widow prayed, that God's promise is not necessarily for a speedy answer, but for a timely one in his perfect timing. And that's, I think, what makes it complicated for us humans is we're so impatient. And if we're going to make an effort to pray. We'd like a little bit of results, and the quicker the better. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Let's let's not forget too, since just in general, sometimes God's answers to our prayers no. Oh yes, and and you thank know. God that is the answer sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, let's back. I have to say this so I don't forget. Okay. I started I started by saying, you know, if you're a faither, you're a prayer. Yes. And one of the reasons why I said that is because at the end of the parable. Jesus uh, ends with a huge question. It's, he didn't say at the end, now, will there be prayer when the Son of Man comes? <laughs> oh, there's going to be prayers, and, and a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus are going to be praying in reverse and strip the transmissions of their minds and hearts. But, not, but he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find F-A-I-T-H on earth? Mm-hmm. See, that's, so that, the, that book ends. The whole thing, verse 1 and verse 8. Keep praying, don't give up, because you're a faither. And so when he comes, and by the way, so when Jesus tells this parable, he's telling it to his disciples who are living in the last days, even in those days. Right. And they, they got to be, be prepared. And so do we. We also now live in the last days as well. So don't give up. Don't quit praying. Don't lose heart. Because when the Son of Man comes, he wants you to be a faither who's always been praying to him and trusting in him no matter what. So he will find faith on earth, so be a faither. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's, he's concerned about that. Yeah, and faithers. I mean, I mean there's going to be lots of meetings going on in the church, you know, <laughs> yeah. all kinds of new paradigms going on in the church, but he's really concerned about that. Yeah, and faithers are prayers. and That's correct. Yes, and when we pray, God hears, and I think it's always great to remind everybody that every prayer that's ever uttered is stored in heaven, that God hears every prayer. Yeah, and you know, uh, when we all go to church on Sunday, we all we, we pray individually, probably, maybe silently. But at the same time, uh, the church prays together collectively. And at Trinity Murdoch, where I serve, um, we always pray for people. We pray for the governing authorities. We pray for those who serve in the military, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we also pray for those who are sick, those who are hospitalized, those who are receiving treatment, and those who are recovering. And it seems like those names are recited week after week after week, and some get well, okay? And yet, some don't get well, and mm-hmm. some even die, um, and some even stay the same. Yes. My point is this, is that we keep on, as Jesus says, we keep on praying anyway, because that's what a faither does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we are praying consistently, Brandon, I, I do believe that when you continue in prayer and you're persistent and faithful in prayer, it does start to change your, um, your, your direction is for what the prayer request is. I mean, I've got prayers I've been praying for years. And as I evolve over years praying for things, I start to 
I start to learn and understand more about God's design. And I don't know if I'm expressing myself very well, but what I'm saying is this persistent prayer is to my advantage always. Correct. Now let's review something for our, right. for our listeners. How do little children learn how to talk to their parents? They have to listen. So I've got a six-month-old granddaughter, and she's going to learn how to talk, but she learns how to talk by imitating and listening to her parents. Mm -hmm. So here's my point. Our Heavenly Father speaks to us, His children. How do we learn how to talk back to Him? By first listening to Him speak to us. And where does that take place? In His Word. Yes. So prayer, it's a heart-to-heart conversation with God. But who starts the conversation? God does yeah. in His Word, our Heavenly Father. And after He speaks to us, we respond back to Him with the very words He's spoken in His Word. So prayer, the fuel of our prayers, is the Word of God, because mm-hmm. that's what He's got on His mind. Now, I have to say something else, here because I know we're short on time, but I think we have to be reminded, keep this parable in mind with this, Jesus Himself, okay? Do you, you know, folks, and you know this, You know that Jesus prayed too, and he prayed how? (laughs) Patiently and persistently. All all of our listeners, all they need to do tonight, if they've got insomnia, can't sleep, is read the, the Gospel of Luke all the way through, and then take note of how often Luke records Jesus praying. Let me give our listeners just a couple examples. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed that the cup of his Good Friday death would be taken away from him if there was another way. But not my will, but yours, Father, be done. And then you remember, he prayed for those people who mocked him and crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then, of course, he prays to his father. Uh, When he's hanging on the cross, he prays the psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then In his dying breath, let's not forget, um, he prayed again to his father in the darkness, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's another psalm from the Old Testament. By the way, that's, that's a psalm that every Hebrew mother teaches her children to pray before they go to bed every night. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah, that's the now I lay me down to sleep prayer of the Old Testament. And so Jesus, he prays the psalm faithfully, persistently, patiently, trusting his Father, even as he bears the sin of the world in his body and takes its hellacious punishment. What I'm saying is, is he takes the damnation that all sinners deserve on the cross, and yet he prays patiently and for us and for our salvation. And let's not forget, folks, do you think Jesus has stopped praying? persistently and patiently? He has not. He still prays. Hmm. I'm here to tell you that he continues to pray for the entire world. He prays for his church. And guess what, folks? He even prays for you, because he intercedes. He intercedes as the world's great high priest. And as he does that, he proclaims to his Father his blood that he shed for us on the cross on Good Friday. See, that's, that's important for us. Yeah, Brent, say more about that, because that's so mind-blowing. That he, that well, he you know, in John's Gospel, us. you remember you have this the high priestly prayer of Jesus? Yes. And he prays for his church. And that's what he continues to do as the great high priest. So his ascension means that he, he continues to pray as the great high priest for the sake of his church and for you. So 
you know, your prayer life kind of falters, well, trust in Jesus and say, well, I blew it today, Lord. Now, um, you, you, you picked up the slack for me, didn't you? Thank you. Thanks be to God. Now, help me, teach me some more how best to pray. <laughs> and by the way, since we're talking about prayer, there's no better prayer to pray than, what do you think, Bill? The Lord's Prayer. Yeah, it's a complete prayer, isn't it? That's right. I, I am astounded. Do I have a couple more seconds? Oh, of course. You've we got three more, three more, two more minutes. Okay, I am astounded, Bill. Uh, my my jaw hits the floor when I attend funerals or weddings or other services outside of my congregation, and the pastor never once leads the people in praying the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And I remind everyone that Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, "When you pray, pray." this. It's a command. It's not an option. Mm-hmm. Because because God the Father has something on his mind. He wants things to give us. And so he says, I want you to ask for these things. Namely, I want my name to be hallowed among you. I want my kingdom to come among you. I want my will to be done among you, etc., etc., etc. So folks, never forget to pray the Lord's Prayer. And if your pastor doesn't do it, you politely take him by the ear, and you take him out for a cup of really hot black coffee, maybe <laughs> chocolate cream pie, and you say, <clears throat> Jesus says in Luke's gospel that we are to pray this prayer. And make them do it. <laughs> yeah. So, Brent, as we just kind of wrap up our time, we look at this parable in Luke 18, and what Jesus is teaching is that we don't, we don't need to badger God with prayer, but we, we should be consistent and, and persistent and and pray with a sense of expect expectancy. That's that's what I'm get, getting out of this. Is, is that fairly? Yeah, accurate? and it's again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And and finally, we're like we're like little children. It's the reason why Jesus taught us to pray this way: pray, Our Father. Why? Because He's our Father, and we are His dear children. And so, therefore, we're like this widow. We are like a child who continually asks and asks and asks. I've I've raised children, and when they were little, they constantly kept kept asking. Asking and asking and asking. And you know, God the Father loves that when we do it. Yeah. And thus the widow. Yeah. So let's not be discouraged at all. And let's, uh, like it just says, Jesus says in the first verse, um, he told his parable, uh, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So. Yep. And so when your faith in Jesus Christ is strengthened, and when it's fed by the Word of God, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be what? Persistent patient prayer. So folks, I, I I always talk this way, happy, persistent, and patient praying. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Always great to have you on. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. Bet. Pastor Brent Kuhlman's been my guest. And after a short break, we're going to be back for hour two. It's the second episode of at least Two Jews and a Gentile. It's fantastic. I love the fellowship that we are enjoying with this uh, segment, and I hope you are as well. Um, thank you for... Uh, Supporting Faith Radio. We we love the prayers that you send uh, our way and the way you care about us and the way you support us. So thank you so much. And if you've not gotten the Faith Radio app, you should check it out. You can text the word APP, that's A-P-P, to 877-933-2484. We'll send you a link. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.